0: Welcome, y'all, to The Eight. A- I'm excited about a new series. I shouldn't say brand new series, but we are beginning a series today uh, titled After 3380 AD. Because regardless of your worldview, your background... We can all agree, everyone agrees, that something historical happened in the year 33 AD that changed every aspect, changed every culture, changed every culture, changed every capacity to life. I think a new tradition we're going to be doing here at St. Mark Church is—why I say this is not a brand new series is because we did this series last summer after Easter, and we looked at various aspects of things that happened after 33 AD. So I think a nice tradition is that every year after Easter, we'll highlight different events that happened— that occurred because of the event which happened on 33 AD. And the event that happened was the resurrection of Jesus, an event in which no one expected but literally transformed every aspect of life. So just to give you an example of how much it changed the world, I started up, I Googled, what are the holidays of the year? What are the holidays of the year? What are the different holidays of the year? So... Uh, and the first thing that came up was Hallmark.com. Hallmark.com had, a, I guess, website, a list of all the, of the holidays. So I started going through them, and I want to share with you the list of holidays that you'll be shocked how many of them are connected to the event and which happened on 33 AD. Many of the holidays in which we have which have been commercialized or diluted or any spirituality has been removed from the holiday, has its origin because of Jesus. You don't believe me? Stick along with me on this. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, MLK Day. Maybe I'm stating the obvious. Hopefully, us in Atlanta, this is more dear to our hearts. Pastor Martin Luther King Jr. I do just want to forget. He was a servant of God. He was a pastor who served Ebenezer Baptist Church here in downtown Atlanta. So the reason why he was so convicted uh, uh, to, to, to bring equality in the civil rights movement is because of his conviction of being a man of God, of wanting to bring equality, and wanting to bring Jesus. So the whole reason why we have this federal holiday, wasn't a federal holiday when I was a kid, but why it's a federal holiday now is because of Pastor Martin Luther King Jr. Because he was a follower of Jesus, the holiday, MLK holiday, all right? So don't forget this. Hopefully we all know this as well. Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day. I don't know why. When we talk about Valentine's Day, no one says happy St. Valentine's Day, right? Everyone just says Valentine's Day. But St. Paddy, they say St. Patty, St. Patrick's, right? But I don't know why. <clears throat> but anyway, these are two saints from the early church. Uh, just to show you, just to give you some a little bit of history here. St. Valentine was a priest from the third century, and he was, he was from Rome. And he had a conviction of wanting to restore the sacrament of marriage and of wanting to bring this because you know the, the government at the time didn't want males to get married because they felt like if they're married they won't do a good job as soldiers. But he was actually saying, No, the sacrament of marriage is a beautiful thing and he was a big advocate for young men to get married. So he was a big push for that. So that's of course, you know, lit you know, Hallmark and every other Company, Take it from there, right, of why we have Valentine's Day. But it is St. Valentine's Day. It's a day in which we honor the martyrdom of St. Valentine, who was a follower of Jesus. Stick with me. St. Patrick's Day. It is not green water and green beer and whatever else happens on St. Patrick's Day. No, it is also the martyrdom of an early church saint by the name of St. Patrick's. He was a Catholic saint from the fifth century from the country of Ireland. So why why we have St. Valentine's Day or St. Patrick's Day, those are the days in which they were martyred, and these become feast days in which we honor them. But of course, you know I don't have to tell you, you see what happens to these two things, but hopefully we understand that these are saints, and these commercialized holidays has its root because of the Christian movement. Here's another one. Ready? I don't know how to pronounce this right, but Ayd-Fatar? Ayd? Ayd. Okay, Ayd. So this is a Muslim holiday. This is a Muslim holiday. This ends the Ramadan fast. Uh, so this, this is common in Islam. Why this is related to Christianity? Stick with me here. Islam is a derivative of Christianity. Islam itself is a derivative Corrupting the beauty of Christianity, with all respect, I, m- many of us might have uh, Muslim friends. I'm not, nothing against your the, the your friends, but I'm talking about the worldview. The worldview itself is a derivative. A, a brilliant guy, I think he's brilliant. Mohammed says, "You know what? Let me create and spark a new theology." And I'm the only one that got a revelation, just me and Archangel Gabriel. He was exposed to Judaism and Christianity in his upbringing. So Muhammad said, "You know what? Let me take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and let me just poof, guys. You will not just believe what just happened. An angel came. Is there any evidence? Any? No, 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 no. This is just, just me. Just believe me. And he sparked this entire worldview just off one individual with no witness of anything, and he sparked this entire thing. So." The fast of Ramadan is one aspect of Islam, and the entire feast, the end of this fast. So all of Islam itself is a derivative as a corrupt version of Christianity. And and, and he just took Christianity and kind of molded something that is for his benefit, which, hey, I mean, we're all weak, and that's what he did. Obviously, that becomes a big world movement. So the origins of Da'id, of Islam, has its roots because of the year 33 A.D., Here's one I don't think any of us knew. I definitely don't know this from this except this week. April Fool's Day. April Fool's Day has origins from Christianity. Stick with me on here. In the year 1582, France, the country of France, switched their calendar from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar. The Julian calendar is the calendar that we use in the church, but they made a switch in the year 1582 to use the Gregorian calendar. When they made that switch, some people didn't get the memo. So people are like, oh, we know what day is it, what year is it? And so they say, oh, you know, it's whatever year, April Fool's, and they would make jokes because not everyone got the memo that they made a switch to a different calendar. So this sparked April Fool's Day. They, They made the switch in different calendars in April in the year 1582 in France, and then obviously it becomes like a joke worldwide. So April Fool's Day is because of the country making a switch in their church calendar from the Julian calendar to Gregorian calendar. Obviously, this has its roots from Christianity Halloween is, is coming from a, 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 for coming from a ca- Catholic um, event, a Catholic feast, All Hallows' Eve, which happens on November 1st. And then obviously it has its pagan origin, Halloween, but it's connected to this feast day on November 1st. So this is what has been commercialized as far as Halloween. The opposite of what happens on All Hallows' Eve, November 1st, they've made it demonic the day before. Uh, so that's the origin of Halloween, obviously connected to the Christian movement. And last but not least, Christmas, the birth of the author of life, Jesus. Did you know even the word holiday itself means holy days? Like the word holiday, which it's become commercialized within itself. The origin, the etymology of the word holiday is holy days. So in essence, every time we have a holiday, these are holy days in which the church is, is wanting to is encouraging us to pause life and to meditate, focus, celebrate on something specific. So the, when it comes to St. Valentine's Day, the church is telling us, honor this saint and, and how this saint had a conviction to elevate the sacrament of marriage. So anywho, this, these are some of, of the holidays, holy days, that, have, that we know now, some of them have become diluted, corrupted, or commercialized, all having its room because of the Christian movement. Everyone, everyone can agree Jesus was a nice guy. Jesus was nice, taught good messages about love. Everyone can agree on that. Other aspects of his life, not everyone agrees about. Cool, we'll get to that. But we can't, everyone does agree that he was a nice guy who gave a nice, loving message. But there was one specific event which validated the person of Jesus more than anything else. And it was this one specific event, which no one expected, left everyone in utter shock. And the authors and witnesses of this event recorded the details of it. It is the resurrection of Jesus, which validated the person of Jesus. It validated everything he has done and said. Because if it was not for the resurrection, we would here be talking about, oh, actually, we wouldn't be here. If it was for the resurrection, I wouldn't have a job. If it was not for the resurrection, you would be doing something else on a Sunday. But because of the resurrection, this is what sparked the movement of Christianity. And the world has never been the same since then. It was the resurrection that validated everything he did. Because if it wasn't for the resurrection, he would just be saying a lot of nice things about loving your neighbor. He, sure, he could talk about I'm the bread of life, but maybe that wouldn't have made full sense. All of that came to a fine point because of an empty tomb. But let's kind of be real. Does any of this matter? You believe that. You do what, you believe what you want to believe. I believe what I... Why does it matter? If you want to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, good for you. But you don't need to push that agenda on me. That's You do you, I do me. Well, what, what, what does you believe in the resurrection have anything to do with me? Does any of this matter? There are people I meet, and I'm sure there's people that you meet, would say... This is all there is to life. Like, this is, this, is the, this is the beginning, this is the end of life. When you die, you die, and that's the end of that. You might hear people say, Well, we're just part of the universe, and we become one with the soil and the grass after we die, and that's the end. It's a beautiful life, and we make the most of it here. Sure. But I, I, I really, really, when that person sits with, by themselves alone, and they're trying to sleep, really? They believe there's nothing else besides life than this? It's hard for me to believe. I might be biased, but it's hard for me to believe because ingrained in the very fabric of every human being is is the yearning that there has to be more to life than this. There's a natural desire. Is there a purpose to all of this? Every time there's pain and hardships and trials that come our way, there is a question within us. Where does this lead? Is there more to life than this? What's the purpose of all of this? What is my purpose? All these questions naturally come up regardless of anyone's worldview. This is naturally embedded within the very fabric of humanity because of the author of life himself. It was the movement of Christianity that took skeptics, who didn't really care about Jesus, it didn't matter, who ended up giving their life because of him. It took skeptics to martyrs. And they were willing to sacrifice everything because of how they experienced God's love through his son, Jesus. So, does this matter? 100%. If someone predicted his own death and overcame death, and tons of skeptics who were very vulnerable and real about talking about their skepticism ended up following him and writing about his life, you betcha it matters. Because the world was never the same after the year 33 A.D. There was one specific person who really, his life really transformed because of Jesus. He was actually, he made a living, not a living, but he, he definitely did this almost as a full-time job of persecuting and killing Jesus' followers. His name was Paul the Apostle. Like, he, this, uh, he was extremely passionate. I mean, he was full of zeal. Very, very bold guy. Who, who, who was part of his mission was to kill those who were following the way, which were, this is the, the name they kind of gave to Jesus' followers in the early centuries, or in the first century, of being them the, their followers of the way. He was on a mission to kill them. But he ended up through a revelation, he ended up finding Jesus, and he ended up following Jesus himself. And I want to share with you a story that happened 27 years, approximately, 27 years after the resurrection of Jesus, 27 years after the resurrection of Jesus, I want to share with you a story written by St. Luke the Evangelist. St. Luke was a physician and an artist, and he wrote down the gospel in which we have now called St. Luke Gospel. But he writes down an event in which it occurred as St. Paul was going on a mission trip. So I would like to share this with you uh, right here. Acts 17. So this is, this, is a, this is a book right after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you have a writing from, uh, you have this record of the book of Acts, which talks about the early church, things that happened after 33 A.D. <clears throat> Here we go. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he, he was waiting for other uh, apostles to come, and he was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Like he was so upset, and now him being a Jesus follower, he looked around Athens, this great intellectual philosophical city, and he saw tons and tons of idols. Many historians say there were more, there was almost as many idols as there were people, and it was just tremendous amount of idols everywhere he went. It was just overwhelming for him, but it broke his heart. It broke his heart that they, people were putting trust in statues in whom they made themselves. He was distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned. Hear me out. A physician is writing this record. Super detail oriented. He did not preach. He reasoned. He reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. Like he was reasoning with people independent of their worldview. There was something so attractive of what St. Paul was saying. Reasoning with the people. He was reasoning with them, not just to this select group of people, because the message in which that St. Paul was reasoning and articulating was so appealing, so attractive, that it didn't matter if they were having a Jewish background or they were just spiritual people, right? Come on. Isn't it in America? People just say, well, I'm not not religious, but I'm spiritual. So everyone everyone doesn't want to say, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. No, I'm spiritual, right? So here is St. Paul reasoning, reasoning with them to both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Continue. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, we won't get into the difference, but they're philosophers. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him, with, with Paul. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching. Let me pause right here. So, of course, Paul is going at it day by day, you know, and reasoning with them, and talking to them about theology, spirituality, and he's going on. Of course, some people are saying, man, what is this guy saying? He's a babbler. He just keeps on going on and on. We don't even know what he's saying. Some people were humble enough to say, I feel like he's advocating for a foreign god. They said this because Paul was preaching. Hear me out. The conclusion of this verse is the bedrock to the Christian worldview. They said this, that he's babbling about a foreign god, because Paul was preaching. Not preaching in a very broad way. Preaching what? Preaching
1: the good news.
0: Pause again. There was something so attractive in the year 50, 80, 200, there was something so attractive about being a Jesus follower that it was given the title of being good news. It was good news that the divine put on flesh to heal me. I mean, that's news you want to hold on to. That's good news. This is why the angel came down and says, I'm here to give good news. If you have been hurt by church, or you have given up on church, maybe you did not hear the fullness of the good news because there was something in the first century that was so appealing to that good news. But let's make it even more concrete. You didn't just preach, you didn't just talk about good news because you, you might have good news, I might have good news, it's, it's relative. Something's on sale at a store, you would say that's good news. But what makes, what makes this more concrete and tangible that St. Paul was preaching the good news of one specific thing, about Jesus and the resurrection. This is where it begins, this is where it ends. Because if the resurrection was bogus, all of this is bogus. But this is where he began. This was his starting point. With Jews who have an understanding of God already, to those who just live a spiritual life, this was his starting point. This is what should make the church attractive. This is our starting point of what should identify you and me of being Jesus' followers, is the reality that death has been trampled down by death. This should be the starting point of what gives us hope and strength in and our marriages and our conflicts and our struggles and addictions. Death has been conquered. I'm made new. Death, where is your sting? You got nothing on me. This is where it should begin because of the reality of the resurrection. Then they took him, they took Paul, and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus There are different ways to pronounce it. I, I, I grew up hearing Arapagus. This is like a, I think it explains. Arapagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we would like to know what they mean. See how beautiful, St. Paul didn't like overwhelm them talking about God knows what and just going in every direction about Jesus. It's one thing. It's about the resurrection. That's it. And they said, come, come, come. So they brought him to the Arapagus, which is like, like a, big, a, bold, a big area of, of where philosophers would kind of bounce new ideas back and forth. Marianne, have you ever been to Arapagus? Yeah. Huh? Areopagus, I'm, well, I'm going to stick with Arapagus. She's Greek, so she knows uh, how to pronounce this stuff better. Okay, but anyway. So at the Arapagus... Uh, they w- philosophers and intellects would kind of go back and forth as far as new ideas. But they were so humble enough to, to realize, okay, this is something different. Because their framework is spirituality this way. I think in America, I think we have spirituality just inside. I make myself my own God. But anyway, their framework is God is there, or God is a statue, right? It's an external thing, and it's just like there. So it's, it's a cloudy, foggy understanding. But they realized the way St. Paul was talking about was he talking about a new teaching that he was presenting, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. There was something so appealing that made them lean in a little bit more. All the Athenians, Saint Luke obviously has to add this detail here in parentheses. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing <laughs> but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. All right, like I said, this is like this, like this is social media of the time. You just that's where you just go and like find out what's new, right? That, that you go to the Erepegus. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Arapagus. I'm so insecure now saying that word. Now, after you say, but Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Arapagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Talk about being a good communicator. Like he's saying, he's honoring them. He's saying, You know what? I admire that you are seeking spirituality. You are spiritual people. Like you, you know that you understand there's more to life than just this. I admire that. That's cool. So he applauds them in order for them to lean in a little bit more. I see that you are very religious. He continues. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown god. So you are ignorant. He he applauded them in the beginning, and he said, you're ignorant. Of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. And I'm sure he paused. And if you get nothing out of this talk, anything out of this series... I want you to know he is not far from you. This was a pause for these Greek philosophers, that God is not far from me. To them, they're trying to seek the purpose of life. They're trying to find divinity. And St. Paul tells them, he is not far from you. Though he is not far from any one of us, I love this part. For in him we live and move and have our being. And some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. How beautiful is this? That St. Paul is not, he's using Greek philosophy, taking it and baptizing it into the church, baptizing it for it to be used in preaching to tell them about, about the good news. He's using their own language of the culture and using it to explain who Jesus is. Because in God, we live and move and have our being. It's so beautiful. And then he's saying, and some of your old poets have also said we are his offspring. So he says, cool, you, uh, you understand you have some of these theological elements. Let me bring it to the fuller picture. Because in him, we live and move and have our being. I love, I love that quote, and I love just the way St. Paul's approaching this. He's not saying, believe in the resurrection, believe in the resurrection. Just close your eyes and say, I believe, I believe. No, no. He's saying, no, it, it, let me, I'm going to use your own language. I'm going to use your own culture in order for you to understand who Jesus is. But Going back to his early point, you are not far from him. There's a, a whisper of deception in our hearts. I've screwed up. I'm too far from him. I've been there, done that. Your mind thinks you're far from him. He's not far from you. Nothing you can do can make him step away from you. He is close. Are you willing to see that and open your heart to him? I I have to read this page again. I love it. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. Like, don't reduce God to something that could fit in your head. Don't, don't, don't just make him say, yeah, 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 that's God. Don't, 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 don't do this. You know, we, let me beat you to it. You cannot relate to this, but let me make this applicable to us. Sometimes we create God within us. We end up worshiping cash, money, the next career, a person, an addiction. You, wouldn't, you would never label it as being that being God. But we end up worshiping it. And I'll be the first one to tell you another thing we worship. We even bow down to it. Have, uh, I've talked about this before. Phantom vibration is a syndrome, phantom vibration syndrome. And don't definitely don't raise your hand to this. But you ever feel like you 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 feel like you're something vibrated? Yeah. Was oh, that my phone? Oh, it's that my phone. Oh, was that a beep? Was that? A beep? It's, the, we, this becomes God. Anyway, not planning for that. But in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Pause. Don't like, you, you might have an image right now when you hear the word repent. I was like, oh, yeah, here's Paul telling them they need to pr- repent of their sins. Uh-uh. What's the Greek word for repent? It's metanoia. Is the Greek word for, for, is metania, it, which is two parts. Metanoia. He's saying, let, let, let me, the whole context again. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now, now God commands all people everywhere to Change their mind. The word metanoia, metania, means change your mind. So St. Paul is saying, no, I I didn't break up sin yet. I didn't break up any of that. Uh, Right now I'm telling you, are you willing to change your mind? Because there's something so appealing about the good news of the resurrection. Are you interested in changing your mind? Because it begins here. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Again, he's sandwiching everything he's saying to the resurrection. When they they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, you know what, we want to hear you again on this subject. At At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Arapagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. I'm, I'm wanting to show this is that St. Luke is recording not a narrative, not a story, but life. He's, he's, he's recording history. So he's, want, he's, he's wanting to write down the names and the details of what happened. This is St. Luke's style. If you look at the gospel, if you look at the book of Acts, he writes down these details because he's wanting to share how the movement of all these conversations that happened in the Areopagus, of how St. Paul quoted Greek philosophy and used it to point people to Jesus, how he used all of that to point them to the reality of the resurrection. You might feel like you are far from God. And I promise you, This is only in your mind. He awaits you. Are you willing, not willing, are you open to changing your mind to him? Maybe right now, your response to Paul is what some of the people that responded, we want to hear more about this. And that's okay. You're at the right spot. Right now, if what's settling in your heart is there's something about this, I want to take that next step. Maybe you've passively pursued Jesus and you're wanting to go all in more intentionally into every aspect of your life to follow the resurrected Jesus. Come and see. I want us to end with a beautiful song titled She Came with the Spices. And the first verses of the song I love so much. She came with the spices to thy tomb, O Lord, knowing that thou above the earth had soared. She came, the woman came to the tomb expecting to see a corpse. But then she realized, You have soared above heaven. You have soared above earth to restore humanity. And you'll see throughout the verses the power of the resurrection in people's lives. There was a woman from Egypt named St. Mary. She was a harlot who ended up following Jesus. There was an Ethiopian man by the name of St. Moses, how he followed Jesus, how the resurrection impacted him. We look at St. Paul, we look at St. Peter. So I want us to do, if you've never heard the song before, if you've heard it a hundred times, I want us to not only sing it, I want us to pray. it. Let's stand up together.
1: spices to thy tomb, O Lord, knowing not that thou above the earth had sworn. She came void of a home, she came expecting death, forgetting the life giver who is the living breath. In trials and tribulations do we not do the same, looking at our errors, despairing in our blame. How often do we wallow, abandoning all hope, as though on our own with burden we could cope. If Peter lost all hope when our Lord exposed his sin, Luke would not record the 3,000 he would win. If Paul considered nothing but his murderous past, would his inspired letters to this generation last? moses life was evil every sin he did commit but from this desert bend a shining lamp was lit if mary egypt's harlot had not tried to win his grace would she now be in heaven when she have won the race Our Lord set an example, compelled we do the same. Fight, strive, persevere, and on us will be no blame. If our loving Savior had not endured all pain, would redemption and salvation ever be our gain? I come now with hope to thy tomb, O Lord, knowing that in truth above the earth had soared. I come now with joy. I come expecting life, knowing that through thee I can endure all strife. It is through you that we
0: are able to endure strife, to hold on to hope which is found in you. Lord, we desire to hold on to that reality because it was through you that the world changed. It was through you that brokenness was healed. It was through you who took skeptics and brokenness and have made it whole, and we are not no different. Make us whole, restore us, and this can only be done for us to hold on to the reality of your resurrection. Because in you, we live and move and have our being. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray, thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, everybody. We'll continue this series next Sunday.